be seated. Would you open the Word of God with me? Uh, grab your phones. I always encourage you. We're so looking forward very soon to having Bibles back in the pews so that so that you can actually see the Scriptures before you. We're going to do a lot of jumping today. So have your fingers ready as we explore this amazing invitation of God. Let's start with our Old Testament passage. It comes from the uh, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. For some reason that is not ringing true in my head. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah, you recall, was called by God at a critical juncture of the people of God's life, right when they were facing the impending judgment on both their their culture, but also their faith community, the judgment of God. God gave them these powerful words in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask For the ancient paths, right? Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Oh, and such a beautiful picture, isn't it? Of the path of God set before us. Now, the thing about a path we learned two weeks ago in the mountains was that when you're on the path, that path is going to take you somewhere. And, And unless you get off that path, you will end up in the destination where the path leads. But, but here's the, the reality. Each of us has to ask, are we on God's path? Are we on the place that God intends for us? Or are we on a path that's actually going to take us away from the things of God for our life? This is a beautiful expression, isn't it? Stand by the roads. Look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. But you saw, right, that I didn't quite finish. You will find rest for your souls. In the path of God, there is rest for your souls. It's interesting that in the Bible, what I'm using right this moment, my ESV, um, that's the end of the page. If I did not change the page, I would not see the words that come immediately following, right? And the people of God said, we will not walk in it. Most tragic, most tragic thing to say to God is, no, no, God, I won't walk in the path that you set before me. Beloved, as we gather today around God's word, I want to talk with you about a path that God has laid out that not only will bless you and your loved ones, your family, but should the Lord tarry, will bless generations will bless generations. Let's look at it together. Turn with me now to the New Testament, would you? To 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. I say 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be jumping around between chapter 2 and chapter 1 and a little bit in in 1 Timothy. Why? Because um, Timothy was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. Timothy was a follower of Jesus. He was a learner of the things of God. He He was one who was totally committed to being like his master. 
and the way that, that, that Timothy chose to pursue being like Jesus was to submit himself to this incredible father figure in his life, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul met Timothy when he was very, very young. And, and it appears, it's not stated explicitly in Scripture, but it appears that he was fatherless and and the Apostle Paul adopted him as a child in the faith. And now, years later, this is probably written around the time of Paul's death, AD 67 or 68. Years later, Paul is writing to his son in the faith of, of amazing spiritual truths. In Second Timothy chapter 2, he writes these words. There are memory verse for today. Out of, out of the ESV, you then, and you can hear the endearing term here, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Would you say that with me? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, will you say that? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Will you say that? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's put it all together. Would you read with me the entire passage? Is it up there? Yep. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the reference is 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, the very word of God. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for your word, which never returns to you void. Thank you, God, that you did not abandon us to find the path, to find our way. Uh, all by ourselves. No, you gave us, God, the word of God. You gave us the written word, the spoken word. You gave us the living word, Jesus Christ, to guide us. So, God, I pray that that word would guide us today. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hey, have you ever heard the expression, um, pay it forward? Have you heard that expression? Do you remember that? It's not a new expression. Amazingly, the idea, the concept, at least that we, as far as we can tell, was first written down. Are you ready for this? 300 years before the time of Christ. 300 years before Jesus, uh, uh, a Greek playwright, famous for multiple plays, wrote a play called Discalos, which means the grouch. It was was a a play about a grumpy old man. Now, I used to to, uh, make fun of grumpy old men, and now I are one, right? Um, But it was a play about a grumpy old man and, and the process that he went through to learn that that he would have to entrust himself to someone else. That he would have to entrust himself to someone else. 
that he would have to pay it forward. Well, I don't know, because the play was not rediscovered until uh, 1957, I don't know that Benjamin Franklin was aware of Discalus, but but um, he came probably on his own to the same conclusion about this idea of, of paying it forward. He wrote in 1784, I do not pretend to give such a deed, he said. I only lend it to you. When you meet another honest man in similar distress, you must pay me by lending this sum to him, enjoining him to discharge the debt by like operation. And when he is able and shall meet with another opportunity. And I hope it thus may go through many hands until it meets. And and Benjamin Franklin was not one to mince words until it meets the knave who will stop its progress. Right. This trick of mine for doing a deal of good with a little money. Benjamin Franklin wrote both. Both Menander, who wrote Discalas, and also um, Benjamin Franklin were pointing to something that was written for us or was modeled for us in Jesus Christ, was pointing towards something that I'm going to suggest to you is not paying it forward. And all of us probably became familiar with that phrase through a movie 20 years ago, right, called Paying It Forward. It was based on a, on a book by Catherine Hyde Ryan, and, and it was adapted into a film. And I can still picture his, what is his name? Haley Joe Osment. Remember that? Um, that cute little boy who was going to change the world by paying it forward. Little did he know in the story, or Benjamin Franklin or Menander know that that what they were tapping into was a pattern, was a process called discipleship, right? But not paying it forward in, in the sense of, of passing money to one another, but gracing it forward, gracing it forward. What am I talking about? Let's look again at our key scripture for today, Second Timothy 2, 1 through 7. And again, I just invite you to keep your finger pl- um, stuck in that in that session. We're going to go back and forth a few pages several times. I want to suggest to you that in this passage, we see several things. We see the power for paying it forward or for gracing it forward or for discipleship. We'll see a, a pattern for for discipleship. And we will see also a, a price for Discipleship. Let's start, if we can, with the power of discipleship. Do you remember last week when we were trying to call down, you know, um, the, the command of God to, to a simplest possible thing that we can, when we were trying to call the, the call to discipleship down to, to, to simple concepts, we said, be fruitful and multiply, right? Remember that from Genesis 1? Be fruitful, make your life fruitful, but also recognize that it's not just about your life. Invest your life in such a way that it multiplies. Your life multiplies. And then we also just reminded ourselves of the Great Commission. And and another way that Jesus put it, make disciples who will make disciples. 
We said just a moment ago, remember, disciples are followers of Jesus. They are people committed to lifelong learning. Disciples are people who want to be like their master. So, so Paul now is again in prison, but this time it wasn't like uh, when, when he was imprisoned in Ephesus and he had a lot of freedom. People could come visit him. Now um, the hammer is about to drop. Now he's in Rome, very likely chained to a Roman soldier in some dark cell and not able to have visitors. Knowing that his death is imminent, he communicates with one of his many disciples, Timothy, a passionate couple of letters, First Timothy and Second Timothy, a passionate couple of letters about the last things that Paul wants to entrust to him. And you know what he says? You've said it already, but sometimes when we're memorizing, we miss the impact of what we're even saying or memorizing. Do you then picture, picture Paul talking to his son in the faith? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me say it differently. Be strengthened in the grace. The same word in both places. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I think what I'm trying to say here is the power for discipleship might be completely different than you would have thought. What is it? First and foremost, it is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is that grace? It's grace that looks at you not for the sum total of everything you've ever done or what's been done to you, but looks at you with, with eyes of love and sees what you can become as you entrust your life to Jesus Christ. Remember, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve ahead of time, right? And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says, um, there's power in grace. There is power in grace. And, and he would know, right, in this first letter to Timothy, he shared a little bit of his own experience. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, he said, it's a little bit long, bear with me, but it's, it's like the Apostle Paul standing before you giving his testimony, right? He said, I thank him who has given me strength. There's that strength again, right? Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful and he appointed me to his service. What's the big deal about that? Well, Paul knows what his life was like. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a persecutor of followers of Jesus. And, and Paul has come to understand grace because the very same God, the very same Jesus that he was persecuting now calls him to himself and appoints him to his service. He continues in verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the way, just note here, we've tried to encourage you to share your testimony, right? 
And we've we given you a, a, a mini formula for that. There was a time in my life, and Paul has just said, there was a time in my life where I was insolent, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, and then the second part of our testimony is, but God, right? But God. And Paul says, but God through, gave me grace. His grace overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He continues, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The Apostle Paul, who began his ministry by trying to claim positional leadership, by calling himself apostle now on his on his deathbed, recognizes the grace that had been poured out on him, recognizes that he was the foremost of sinners. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, and I stuck in there, of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Wow. Wow. The Apostle Paul knew grace. He had experienced grace. And he understood the power, the power of grace. But as he speaks to Timothy, he he reminds him that he has another power as well. He has the faith of spiritual mentors. Uh, In the previous chapter, now this is the second letter that we have that he wrote to Timothy. Um, But in the first chapter of that second letter that he wrote, he says, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. Wow. Let me just press pause for a second, because a, a lot of the story of Paul and Timothy is about that critical relationship of man to man, of father discipling his son, in this case, spiritual son in the faith, right? But do not miss, ladies, do not miss grandmothers, do not miss mothers, right? The incredible role that you have, not just with your young ladies in your family, the young ladies that you ministered, but also to your sons as well, physically uh, biologically, but also spiritually, right? Wow. Uh, we use a lot of patriarchal language in this passage, and I would say to a T, to every single one of them, they speak of both men and women, both men and women. Do not underestimate the power of your life. Let me say it differently. The power of your faith in the lives of others. I think how many times I've been with a woman or a man and and praying with them from some great uh, desire that they had for it could be their biological children or their biological grandchildren or or just someone that they have been investing in. So many of you have have faithfully invested in your co-workers and and you know the trials as as it seems like you take two steps forward and one step back and 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 praying with you, just felt the discouragement rising up. Don't lose hope, Paul says. Don't lose hope. Even though they may not show that they're catching anything uh, of what you're saying, 
Um, it's happening. It is happening. I remember, uh, now it's been a couple of years, but I encountered um, a person that I had, well, it's happening last week as well, and someone that I had not seen in many years. And someone that when I was with them, uh, it was a woman, uh, now a woman, um, uh, never gave any sign, never gave me any sign that anything I had said to her or was had done for her or anything had any effect. And, and later on, she wandered off and, and I didn't see her again for many years. And then in, in some strange context, I don't remember where it was, some public place, I encountered her and she stopped me. And she says, you don't remember this, but one time you said this in church and the lights came on. And though it took me many years to recognize what you said, I know that to be true now, right? Um, do not underestimate the impact of your life. By the way, what is the evil one trying to do, right? What is the evil one saying, whispering in your ear? Oh, man, you sure screwed it up with that one, right? Uh, you, you messed up. You had no impact on that person's life, right? Don't believe it. There's spiritual power in grace and there's spiritual power in the faith of, of the believer handed down, modeled, exemplified for the, for the succeeding generations. But Paul also hints at yet another a power that is available to us. I'm going to call it the gifts, plural, of the Holy Spirit. But understand, as we've discovered together, that whenever we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit... We're really talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that expresses itself in all kinds of ways that are unique, absolutely unique to you and to you alone. So the Apostle Paul says to his son in the, in, in the faith, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us. A spirit, not of fear, here it is, but of power and love and self-control, right? The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a, a spirit of power, of love, of, of self-control, not of fear, not of anxiety. Again, the world and our own flesh and the evil one will all conspire to make you afraid. But the Apostle Paul is saying to his son in the faith, don't fear. Right? Remember the gift that is in you of the Holy Spirit. Wow. There is power in grace. There's power in the faith of spiritual mentors. There's power. Wow. Unbelievable power available to you through the gift of the Holy Spirit, but there's also power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? In gospel, literally good news, in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the story of Christ, which has now become the story of Paul, which is 
has already, by the time of this writing, become the story of Timothy, which Paul is now encouraging Timothy to let become the story of the people that he invests in. There's power in that gospel story, right? Paul, uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, the things that you have heard from me, what is that? What are those things? It is first and foremost the saving power of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. These things that you've heard from me in, in our ESV says in the presence of, and it's a beautiful imagery, but, but the literal word there is, is dia or through. In other words, it's already happening. As Paul discipled multiple people, multiple people are, are, are encouraging Timothy, right? They are, they're expressing that gospel truth to Timothy. The things that you have heard from me and through many witnesses, right? Paul says, I'm, I'm the expression of the gospel in your life, right? He said in just a few verses earlier in 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. And I love that. I love that. Uh, words have, have impact and meaning and words have power. But look at what he says right after that. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What is it that you always say, Sarah? Speak words of life, right? Speak words of life. Speak words that are in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite passages in Philippians, Philippians 4, 9, Paul says, And what you have learned and received and seen and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The Apostle Paul saying there's power in the gospel handed down from one believer to another. That's why I really want to encourage you. It's so... It's so um, tempting and, and comfortable to think about the process of discipleship as, as just hanging out, right? And, and, and there's beauty in that. Believe me, I love sitting in a coffee shop with someone just talking about life. But at some point, at some point, you've got to get to grace. At some point, you've got to get to the, the reality of God and the Holy Spirit. At some point, you've got to get to the gospel. If people know us and encounter us and never encounter the gospel, what have we left them with? Right? What have we given to them? Paul said there's power in these things. But I love also in these just these two brief verses, there's also a pattern for discipleship, right? There's a pattern for gracing it forward. And he says, what you've heard from me, this gospel message in the presence and through many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful. And there's a word, it's, it's translated ESV, man, but it, it includes mankind, to humankind, entrust to men and women, to children, entrust to people everywhere, right? Who will be able to teach Others also. I love, I love this scripture because this, this pattern or process is, is not a class that you take and then get tested on 
at the end. It's so much more beautiful than that. I think what came to my mind was my sister Beverly, when she talks about um, her grandchildren, she she doesn't call them grandchildren. She calls them grand treasures. Isn't that beautiful? Now, you know, anybody who has grandchildren knows exactly what we're talking about, right? Um, they are a treasure, right? Do you see how just that simple change in words changes the way you perceive them, right? I love this about my sister. And, and, and that's kind of what is happening right here in our, in our passage today. The process that Paul is calling Timothy to, this, this um, gracing it forward, the key part of the process is to, and it's, it's translated in the ESV, to entrust. It's a beautiful word, even in English, right? To place trust, place it in someone else's care. What we don't realize when we look at that word is that it's actually a word that implies treasure. That, that here's something incredibly valuable, and you are going to entreasure it to someone else, right? You are going to you are going to entrust that treasure to someone. Else. Earlier, again, in, in the first chapter, in verse 14, Paul uh, charged Timothy, he said, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted. And it literally says the treasure that has been entreasured to you. Right. So entrusting is this bestowing the giving of something incredibly valuable. Right. Being entrusted with something is a, is a wonderful thing. There's an honor to it. There's a conviction to it, right? There's a, there's a powerful statement that I am enough to carry this important responsibility. I am enough to keep it safe and to deliver it to the one whom the owner wants it shared, right? God has entrusted to you the most precious thing that anyone could entrust. I'm saying that again. God has entrusted to you, Timothy's out there, to you, men and women, the most precious, life-saving gift, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all that Paul taught and said and did was based on the treasure of God's word and giving it to others for safekeeping and for transmission to others. Again, he's in a jail cell recognizing that, and it has probably happened within the year, he was, he was um, martyred probably by Nero. He's recognizing that he's at the end of his race, right? And but 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 his job's not done. If he gets to the end of the race and hasn't entrusted the treasure of the gospel, to, not only to another man, but you saw in our in our title in the front of your bulletin to a movement, to a pattern which will not only bless one man but will bless generations. Should the Lord. Terry, Paul recognizes that that this is the pattern of discipleship. So Paul entrusted this treasure to Timothy. Paul trusts Timothy. Paul traveled with Timothy. Paul ministered with Timothy. Paul trained Timothy. Paul taught Timothy. And now it's time. Now Paul's saying it's time, Timothy, to run 
the second lap of this journey to run the second uh, the second part of this relay to take the baton Timothy and to run this race and to hand that baton off to others right there's a pattern for discipleship by the way it's not a pattern of addition it's a pattern of multiplication right and trust to faithful Men who will be able to teach others, plural, also, plurals, 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 right? We have to change our whole way of thinking about this. We're going to invite you over the coming three weeks. We're going to invite you to think deeply about what this would look like in your life and how you can not be just part of of, uh, a method, but how you can be part of a movement that not only transforms your life, your family's life, but but transforms our city and ultimately through Evansville, the globe, right? It's called discipleship, but, but make no mistake, beloved, there is also a price for discipleship. Paul was about to pay the ultimate price for his faithfulness, right? And we've said over and over again, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Jesus tells us that, that there is going to be hardship in this world. He said, you will have, help me, Tribulation, right? It's going to be hard in this world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Here in his, in his poignant letter to his son in the faith, he says, share, Timothy, share in the suffering as a good soldier for Christ Jesus. He actually describes this price of discipleship through, through three Different metaphors, right? The power, the pattern, the price. This this is going to be costly, right? But there's three metaphors that, that he gives of a discipler that I think and each of them can be explored and, and thought through. Or he'll, he'll challenge us in just a moment to meditate on these things. First of all, a soldier, right? A soldier. No soldier, he says in verse 4, gets entangled in the civilian pursuits, right? Don't get distracted by all the cultural stuff that's going on around you, right? Why does a soldier not get distracted, right? His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Beloved, what is your aim? Who are you trying to please? If you turn on the TV or you open your phone, uh, you're going to hear the message that the only one it's important to please is you yourself or possibly you might hear the message that you've got to please whoever the the cultural power is at that moment but as you've seen even over the last two years that changes moment by moment and day by day but a soldier a soldier wants to please his or her commanding officer right a soldier wants to please the one who enlisted them the imagery here is of discipline in the midst of battle, in the midst of spiritual warfare, of keeping your focus on the main thing. He also uses right here in, in powerful staccato notes, he, he uses the imagery of an athlete, right? And he says an athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The implication is it's not just about winning the race. It's about doing it in a way that that uh, honors 
the intention of the race, right? The imagery here is of a race, and and we've learned together that it's not a hundred-yard dash, beloved. It is a marathon, right? It is a marathon. And there's going to be times when, when you're not sure that you have the strength to go on. Worship team, come on up if you would. There's going to be times when you, when you feel like your strength is failing you. Um, Paul says, hold on, right? Hold on. We're going, to, we're going to finish this race. We're going to get to the finish line and we're going to do it in a way that doesn't disqualify us. The third imagery that he uses right here in Second Timothy is that of a farmer. And, and he says it's a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Because such a small portion of our culture nowadays farms. I mean, we think of gardening, and I don't do that particularly well. Um, it's such a small percentage farm, we don't recognize how hard it is. And what a valuable contribution that our farmers make to our to our culture. I'm thinking of my cousin Arlene. God bless you, Arlene, if she's watching. And um, she's been farming in in eastern Oregon for 40 years. And it is hard work. I did it for about a day. And then I had suddenly needed to get back to Southern California. And, um, and so I left. By the way, she, I got revenge. She got revenge. I have hay fever. And I... And I, the first night in the hotel on the way back to California, I spent all night long with hay fever. But this is hard, beloved. And, and there's going to be times when we want to quit. And there's going to be so many convening voices saying, did God really say that? There's going to be so many cultural and, and personal battles that are raging around you that you'll be tempted to get dissuaded from the task before us. But the task before us is discipleship, of making disciples who make disciples. And discipleship takes time, right? Paul ends our brief portion of his letter today strongly calling Timothy to think deeply about the price that he had to pay to get this training done. And he says at the end of this passage in verse 7, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. In everything, if you would, as we close, just allow me to help you consider what Paul is saying here, right? Right now, and most likely in the future, you won't have time to disciple others. Parents, you won't have time to truly parent. Dad, you'll be tempted to let mom disciple your children by herself, even though Scripture calls you to disciple your family, right? We're going to be tempted, parents, to let, to let our schools disciple our children, right? Whether public or private, we're going to be tempted to let our schools disciple our parents, even though God holds us accountable for that. Parents, we're going to be tempted to let our children decide what's right and wrong. I'm flabbergasted by the cultural wars that are raging around us, where people are saying, just let the kid choose for themselves. I'm sorry, I was brain dead until I was 26, right? Who knows who they are or what they're doing, right? Before then, we got a couple of uh, young married 
in premarital counseling right now, and I just, I just basically told them they don't know what they're doing. But who of us knew what we were doing when we got married? Amen? Right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Don't abdicate the treasure that God has entrusted to you so that you will entrust it to someone else. Right? The actual process of discipling where you teach truth, where you practice truth, where you apply truth to every day situations where you model truth in your own life, where you repeat truth, where you talk about truth all day in every situation. It's rare in our homes and it's very, very rare in our culture. And the Apostle Paul, through Timothy, is saying to us, you be that person. You be that person. Right? Paul says it's hard work. It's a, it's a battle. It's a race. It involves sacrifice, even suffering. There will be difficulties. There will be setbacks. There will be your weaknesses exposed. There will be painful lessons. There will be a cost. But beloved, what is the cost if we don't? What is the cost if we don't do what Jesus has done? So let me just ask you a couple of quick questions. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring the Christ life? Now, we're not making disciples of us. I said before, everyone disciples. We just don't make disciples of Jesus. Who are you pouring the Christ life into in such a way that one day they're able to pour that Christ life into someone else? Let me ask you secondly, Whom are you allowing to pour the Christ life into you? There's so many opportunities, beloved, for you to be discipled, to to lean on someone who's gone before. I'm I'm discipled by people younger than me. I'm discipled by by people my own age. I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm discipled by spiritual mentors in their 90s. Thinking of Keith Heffley right now. Um, I'm just so blessed to have people who love me enough to pour the Christ life into me. Who who are you allowing to do that, beloved? Because if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're going to partner with God in the transformation of the of the globe, then We have to pick up the baton. We have to carry it well, and we have to pass it on to others. Here again, would you, our challenge today, you then, children of God, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus And what you have heard in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful ones who will be able to teach others also. And one day, one day we'll stand together in that great cloud of witnesses. We'll celebrate. Amen? We'll celebrate what God has done. Let's worship together. Will you stand with us?